the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hi, podcast listeners. Hey, everybody. Here we are again. Great to be with you. Yes. Great to be with you, Wendy. Thank you. You too. I mean, we're together a lot, you and I, because we're husband and wife and such, but yeah, we still really like doing this together too. This yeah. is this is special. So thanks for listening because that makes this possible. If you didn't listen, we would have no reason to record. <laughs> <laughs> would be kind of silly. That would be rather strange. Yes. It? So I wanted to say something about at the end of our recordings, how we have this little sign off that we do where you say something about remember you're a gift and then I reply, right. become what you are. Yeah, yeah. And that kind of just grew naturally yeah it's not like we scripted that just started happening that's true we did and then we just kept doing it which is fun but i i'm wondering if you had to put that in different words like if someone said to you what does that mean what would you what would you say What, what does it mean what's the it um like you are a gift become what you are yeah well that's that's a jp2ism i felt like it came from jp2 yeah he says in his document um familiaris consortio on the christian family in the modern world came out in 1981 uh he says family become what you are yeah and that it's a it's an interesting yeah how can you become what you are if you are it yeah then how can you become it or why do you even need to become it? Yeah, where's the becoming? What's the becoming part? Yeah. It has to do with with the what John Paul II calls the echo mm-hmm. of the truth of our humanity that's still in us mm. from our original creation mm-hmm. and the fact that we have all fallen from that yeah. reality. Yeah. So contained in that statement is like a concentrated dose of the whole vision John Paul II is trying to unfold for us, that there's this original beautiful, wonderful plan of God for our lives. Mm-hmm. We've fallen from that. Christ comes to restore it in us. Yes. And that's summarized in that word gift. Yeah. John Paul II says, this is the body. The body is a witness to the reality of God being gift. Mm. And we're made in the image of God who is gift. We're called to be gift. Man can only find himself through the sincere gift of himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are a gift. We are a gift in our very existence. Our existence is a gift. We're called to yeah. be a gift. We come from God who is gift. Right. We're made in that image. We're meant to be a gift. But our fallen humanity cripples us in being that gift. And it cripples us in recognizing that we are that gift and that we are meant to be that gift. Right. I think that's one of the reasons why we want to leave our listeners with that. Because... Yeah. If anything, we've shared has sort of emphasized your sense of your own brokenness to leave you with the sense of deeper than your brokenness is your giftedness. Yes. And that all the struggles of our lives are in, you know, the process of recognizing the truth that we're made it and that we are a gift and that we are meant to give the gift, give ourselves as gift. So I, I think that's you know, part of the sentiment. Absolutely it is. Absolutely it is. Yeah. And it it really is a way of summing up uh, the the 
anthropological vision, to put a fancy term to it, <laughs> right? The, the vision of what it means to be human that John Paul II is holding out to the world, which you and I have so deeply absorbed and right. want to share with others. So that's where it came from. Absolutely. I like that summary. Yeah. That's good. Tell me what's been going on with the Institute. Well, we have some fun stuff to remind our listeners about. We have the Congress coming up. Yeah. I know I've been talking about this for several weeks, but it's just around the corner at the end of October, the weekend of October 30th to November 1st. Uh, Scott Hahn will be there. George Weigel will be there. Janet Smith will be there. Sister Miriam, uh, Matt Frad, a whole list of others. Bill Donahue, my colleague at the Institute. I will be there, of course. And it's going to be just an excellent opportunity at this critical time. We know right before the election, mm. we know our nation is experiencing a lot, a lot of turmoil. Mm -hmm. And theology of the body, I believe, takes us to the root of the crisis that our culture is facing. Mm -hmm. And these speakers are going to help us dive in deeply. And several of them are going to be addressing some of these kind of current issues, or at least how to apply. Mm -hmm this vision to some of these current issues. So that's exciting. We also, and check the link for more info on that. Uh, we also have a live stream event. You know, we're doing these, we're, we're trying to get back in. It's COVID still, but we're dealing with it. We launched our first live event a couple weeks ago at a parish. Uh, not as many people are able to come because churches are not even allowed to have, you know, fill up their pews. Right. Uh, so, we did do our first live event a couple of weeks ago, but we decided because of these COVID times, we're going to keep doing as many of these live events as we're able, but we want to open it up. We mm -hmm. want to open up to as many people as we can. We're going to do that with live streaming technology. So on October 16th, uh, Mike Mangione and I will be doing our Made for More event, which is an evening of reflection and beauty and music and video screens with sacred and secular art that we use to to unpack this mystery. It's a great evangelistic opportunity. If you want to invite your friends to be part of this, who who you've wanted to expose the theology of the body, but um, maybe haven't had the right context to do that in, it's uh, very friendly to even those who might be skeptical or turned off by the church or asking questions about life. So that is going to be October 16th, live streamed East Coast time in the United States from 7 p.m. till 9.30 or so. And we'll have a link in the show notes as well Great. where you can learn more about that. Uh, we have, we're following up the Congress in November, the first week of November. We are launching our Theology of the Body Level 1 course online. Mm -hmm. So from November 3rd to the 13th, you have the opportunity to take the online version of the TOB1. And again, I, I want to frame it up for people as a response to the crisis that we're going through. For such a time as this, uh, have we been given John Paul II's theology of the body, a vision of our humanity that helps us make sense of the chaotic, difficult, trying times that we are passing through as a church and as a nation and as a world, as a culture, as, as just the human family, put it that way. Uh, theology of the body frames. I, re I remember a woman who took TOB1, and we actually have a clip of her in the trailer uh -huh. for the course, where she talks about being so fretful of the times we were living in, and so almost bordering on despair. And after taking TOB1, she said, I'm at peace now, because I, I know the Lord has a plan, hmm. and I see how it's unfolding. And I, I'm, I'm not afraid to pass through what we have to pass through, because I know where it leads. 
And, and I think that's a great way to, to put what John Paul II has given us. It's a, it's a vision of our humanity that helps us understand the good, the bad, and the, the glory, the glory of, <laughs> of our humanity. And the tr it gives meaning to these times that we are going through. So that's one way to look at it. If you've ever thought about taking this TOB1 course, now would be the time to really consider it, especially with what we're going through uh, with these elections and the, just the tensions in the culture right now. I think mm -hmm. it'll be very illuminating for people. And of course, I, I want to invite people, encourage people, if you've been blessed by the work of the Theology of the Body Institute, consider being a patron. We have lots of uh, extra opportunities for our patrons to grow in this message. And of course, your patronage helps us to do what we do. So there's yes. a link for that in the show notes as well. Thank you, patrons. Thank yes, you. thank you, patrons. You enable us to do this. Mm -hmm. uh, we couldn't do it without your support. So mm -hmm. thank you. Yeah. So to start with our questions, we have some questions around the topic of dating. And just share the first one for you is, do you have any key relationship advice for Catholic couples? I remember we had a question way back when we started our podcast about what if you designed a Catholic dating site? Uh, what would yeah. it be like? I, I think I along those lines, you know, just Catholic couples, what what are things? And I think, too, like so many people talk to you about their struggles yes. in their relationships. So you've gained a lot of wisdom, not just from your own experience, but other yeah. people's. Gosh, where could you begin? You could, I mean, first I would say, immerse yourself, please. I beg of you. I know I sound like a broken record here, <laughs> but that's kind of my job as, as a teacher of the theology of the body to encourage people really to immerse themselves in this vision. I don't know a better way to prepare yourself for what life will dish out and what human relationships will dish out, what you'll encounter, the joys and the trials. I don't know a better preparation for that than really immersing yourself in John Paul II's vision of what it means to be human. Mm -hmm. And that vision is called the theology of the body. Mm -hmm. So that's a great starting point. Um, I would even encourage people who are already dating to make that part of your dating life, is studying it together. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe take the book Good News About Sex and Marriage, which is such an easy uh, format with the Q&A. I, I actually, <laughs> one thing I have recommended over the years, when uh, particularly women have come to me at my talks, they'll come up and say, you know, do you have any advice for me? And mm -hmm. I say, well, if a guy asks you, I'll give him a copy of this book. Not that I wouldn't say the same thing to guys but maybe it's more women who are asking me for this kind of advice. <laughs> I say give, uh, actually, I tell the story. The reason I give that advice is because one time a woman came up to me yeah. and said, Christopher, you've made my dating life so easy. And I said, well, how? Uh -huh. and she said, well, whenever a guy asks me out, I just give him a copy of your Q&A book. Uh -huh. And I say, read this. And if you want to live that, uh -huh. maybe I'll go out with you. And I loved her <laughs> sassy attitude. You know, it's, it wasn't like, I'll definitely go out with you. It was like, maybe. It was maybe. like, she's establishing the baseline. Yeah. Like, this is this is what we got to agree on right. if we want to have a relationship. And I thought that was superb. Mm -hmm. And I think we should have those kind of standards for ourselves. You should, you should want to have a baseline that this is how we want to establish a relationship. This is mm -hmm. what we're aiming for. It's hard enough. You and I know this. We were aiming for that. We're still aiming for that. Yeah. And you have to deal with your broken humanity. Yeah. It's there. It doesn't go away. 
So we need tools to love ourselves and love others in our broken humanity. And I think what the culture kind of fosters, what it creates, and what I want to stand against, and this is one of my main pieces of advice that I give to to people who want to date, to people who are dating, the culture creates this environment where we are afraid to be naked with one another. And I don't mean physically naked. I mean spiritually naked. Yeah. There's a lot of physical nakedness going on and very little spiritual nakedness mm -hmm. going on. And that's putting the cart before the horse. Uh, we're afraid to open our hearts. We're afraid to be vulnerable. We're afraid to share who we really are. And that is very concerning because dating becomes and attracting a, a, a date, for example, or attracting a potential mate mm -hmm. spouse, however you want to put that, in our culture is almost a process of putting on more and more masks yeah. so that you can be found, quote, attractive. And really, if you want to know if you're in a good relationship, and I look back at our history here, and I know the masks that I wore and how that confused our relationship, how it, I was wearing all kinds of masks growing up because I was afraid that I was unlovable with my masks off. Uh, I wish, I mean, I did what I knew how to do at the time in our relationship. Just pause there for yeah. a minute, because that is in itself a beautiful gift. Just want to say that yeah. to what you, do you say? that you did do what you knew how to do. And I, I just want to encourage our listeners also that you don't have to be be perfect and then start dating yeah, amen to that. and don't reflect back on your relationships and just see a list of mistakes. Because as we were talking about earlier, you are a gift. Yeah. Amen. Your gift has been given to some extent in this relationship and that is good so i just want to affirm that i have some other thoughts too but you can yeah we, we the point here is that we have to learn if you're going to be establishing a relationship you have to learn how to take those masks off mm -hmm. and you don't you don't get totally spiritually naked all at once no but you you start revealing yourself you start sharing your real self you start making yourself vulnerable and if that gift is received then it will most likely be reciprocated. And then you're on this journey together of going deeper and deeper mm -hmm. into true, into me, see, right? Mm -hmm. Into me, see, intimacy. That's what is required to establish a relationship that lasts is intimacy, mm -hmm. true seeing of the other. But you can't establish that intimacy if you're not revealing yourself. And here's, here's a metaphor I like to use. I'm sure I've used this before on the podcast, but here we go again. A man's heart is like a deep cave, and there's so many caverns in there. And, and the job of the woman in his life is to go spelunking, to go exploring in that deep cave. But he, she can't go poking around in that cave if he doesn't open it to her. We have to learn how to open those caverns of our hearts as men. Uh, I like to say a woman's heart is like a deep ocean. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the mission of, of that man in her life is to go deep sea diving. Mm -hmm. uh, but he can't go poking around in her ocean if she doesn't reveal that. That would be a violation. Mm -hmm. So there's this dance of revelation, of revealing our hearts, of opening our hearts, of making ourselves vulnerable. 
and you and I have both experienced this, that when we do that, to the degree that we're able, at the stage of the relationship we're in, and this is what makes it so exciting, that there's always a new level to go. You never exhaust the infinite value and dignity of the person. You never exhaust it. It is in some way infinite. And, and if, you, if, you, if you don't know that, if you feel like you've exhausted and all oh, this person's just boring, well, there's a, there's a block to intimacy somewhere. Something has shut down in the relationship because there's always more to discover. And what I was going to say is what you and I have experienced is that you'll pull treasures out of these caverns in my heart, <laughs> so to speak, that I didn't even know were in there. Yeah. And I'll discover treasures in your deep ocean that you didn't even know were in there. And it really is a great image. Like I see you like coming out of the, the cavern. With, <laughs> look at that, look what I discovered here. And I, oh my gosh, wow, you see stuff in me. You you right. you pull out the best of me and and vice versa. We've had that experience. So the bottom line in real human relating is intimacy. And that takes vulnerability. And vulnerability is scary because we've been hurt, we've been burned, we've not been seen, we've not been honored, we've we've been wounded, we've been rejected. And so understandably, we are afraid to be vulnerable. And so we wear those masks and we put up those barriers and we build walls to protect ourselves. But Authentic love is worth the risk of taking those masks off, of tearing those walls down, of making yourself vulnerable. And it's the only way to know if you have a relationship that's built on a solid foundation. Mm. So I would summarize by saying a, a foundation of agreed vision for what you think your relationship should be, uh, which should be informed by the true, the good, and the beautiful which John Paul holds out in a way that just resonates with human hearts. I'd start there. And then the commitment to journey in real intimacy. Those are the things I think make for a successful relationship. One of the things I know as a woman... Oh, sorry, sorry. Hold it there. I also forgot the critical ingredient to all of this is mercy. Yeah, I got to say that. Mercy, 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 mercy. Then I, I, I mean, I've been saying that for years and I forgot it's like my, <laughs> like my number one go-to. Number one ingredient for a successful relationship is mercy. You have to know how to love one another mercifully. You have to know how to love yourself mercifully, and you have to know how to show that mercy because we're broken. We're going to hurt one another, so we have to learn mercy. Amen. Sorry, I had to say it. That I, I get it. Yeah. As a woman, I know that I have had the experience prior to meeting you, but also relating to you where... I don't know everything about you up front. And so there's something just that begins that attraction, something it could be about your appearance. It could be about the way that you behave in a certain circumstance. It could be just an interaction that we've had that, that gets my attention. But I think there is a tendency, I mean, in an extreme way, this is like a crush where you just kind of manufacture a whole image of mm -hmm. who this person is that you're kind of super attracted to and you don't really know the real person yep. maybe at all. Yep. I mean, could be like this is somebody that's a, a famous person that right. you have a crush on, right? right? That you just ha only know the images. You don't know the real person at all. I think that that tendency is not like 
fundamentally wrong in the sense that we do have to kind of fill in the blanks quickly in our relating with people in order to just, you know, get along with people. But there's a, a need for us to be honest that I don't really know all these things that I imagine yes, about this person. Yes. And just to, as you said, mercifully, but just honestly be aware of that, that the dating relationship is not just, I've imagined you are this and I need all that. So be that for me now. Like that's not what the healthy relationship is. The healthy relationship begins with that attraction or, you know, that desire to be together, but it has to remain open to, I want to know the real person yes. and not the one just that I imagined um, you to be. And that sometimes in the process of the relationship, that can be upsetting to discover a way that you're not who yes. I imagined yes. you to be, or to find that I'm not who you imagined me, me to yes. be. Yes. So yes. I think that in a, in a mature relationship, that's definitely going to be part of it and kind of going in just knowing that that's part of relationships is a great preparation. Um, and I think like what you said about revealing your real self, mercy, all of that is just essential. I think also I want to just speak to younger people mm -hmm. who maybe aren't at this quite this level Yes, where if you tell, you know, say a 15 year old that's dating your goal is to be more and more, you know, uh, vulnerable. Sure, sure. It could be not the best advice at that yeah, age. Yeah, yeah. I, I had in mind, you know, people who are looking to get married. married I'm thinking soon. of people sure. in their 20s. Yes, or, yeah. older people. Yeah. So I just wanted to throw in That's that, point. Um, you know, though at that stage, the younger years of dating, it's important to almost kind of check yourself on your tendency to reveal yourself to think about would I tell my my best friend or my parent or you know someone else in my life this same information about me that that you're not over revealing to yes, this person yes. you're dating because what can happen there is that you're kind of entrusting too, too much, much of yourself yes. to a person who isn't really ready to treasure what you're entrusting. So there that you were talking about stage of relationship. Yeah. And I think there's just a stage of maturity yeah, as well in there. Point. And also related to that stage of maturity, I just want to throw in theology of the body for beginners. Just because good news about sex and marriage may get into some topics for those younger dating people that wouldn't be really appropriate for them to read together and discuss. Good point. That was also yep. maybe advice toward older people. So I just yep. had these younger yep. people in my mind and wanted to throw in just a few more comments for them because they may be also our listeners. I love it. I love it. And I'll, I'll add this one thought too. The, the getting the vision, the shared vision together, here's one example of how important that is. Part of reality. <laughs> it's not just this Catholic vision. It's the way the world is. It's, yeah. it's reality that no human relationship can really satisfy the yearning of the human heart. We are made for something more. We're made for the infinite. And marriage, as beautiful and wonderful as it is, is only a sign of something else. It's a sign of the marriage that lasts forever, Christ and the church. That's what we're made for. That's what we're really yearning for. When we don't understand that, and we seek to find in another human being something that will satisfy that ache. We're setting ourselves up for disaster. And you and I know that firsthand. We, we understood that as a concept when we got married. Mm -hmm. 
but in many ways we're still looking to one another to fill something that only God can fill. This is why I think faith is so essential to real human relating, because faith is the openness to that eternal gift, and it relieves the pressure of expecting the other or de even demanding the other, meet all my needs, fulfill yeah. all my needs. If you go into relationship realizing this fundamental truth that St. Augustine said oh so well, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless till they rest in thee. If you really and truly live from that place, it's like a, a, a relief valve on the pressure we can put on human relationships to be my be-all and end-all, which they can't be. Human relationships can't be that. They're meant to be little tastes, little signs, oh. and marriage is meant to yes. be a sacrament of that reality, and I love that about uh, our, our love for one another. It's mm -hmm. really a sacrament, but to demand out of human relationships what only God can provide is a recipe for disaster. Mm. I have just a follow-up on this. There are some people who talk about different approaches to relationship called either dating or courtship. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've encountered those, if you have any personal thoughts about like what is meant by the terms, yeah. how they can be helpful. I know people make some, in certain circles, they make some, some sharp distinctions between dating mm -hmm. and courting, and dating is considered more a casual thing, and courting is when you're really getting serious and I know in some Catholic circles, uh, certain parents won't allow their children to date, but they'll allow them to court, and they may have a whole understanding of what they mean by those words that I don't use words in the same way. Right. I'm, I'm not so strict about my terminology here. I, I, um, I, I have run into people who really, no, you can't date. It's okay to court, but you're not allowed to, you know, those, uh, that's just not the way I use the language. Yeah. I, I and, and the language is tricky because the culture has really watered it all down and you know you go out you take a woman out on a date i forget i was who i was talking with recently he's a single person and he was telling me that yeah i mean it's just expected on the on the first date so to speak you're expected in the secular setting that it's going to end with sexual intercourse like that's just given and that if if the woman if you tell the woman you don't want that that's not what you're after she receives that as an insult I mean, that's just a world I haven't lived in. Um, I know it's it's a common experience for a lot of people today. And if dating and courting are is, you know, those strict division in those two different terms are trying to make sense out of that and trying to make distinctions. No, that's not what we mean. Okay, I get that. But I just like to talk about human relationships mm -hmm. and and what does it mean to grow in genuine love of another mm -hmm. human being? And where is that love taking you? And uh, are you going to call that dating? Are you going to call that courting? Are you going to call mm -hmm. that something else? Um, not that words don't matter, but uh, it's possible to use words in different different senses. Yes, it is. I think that's true. And there are so many things that have to do with people's expectations, I guess. Um, and that was an extreme example compared to my personal experience. Yeah. I never went on a date with somebody who expected that, so right. I don't have that as a personal reference. Um, but I, I can understand how that is just, it's so contrary to what we would desire anybody we care about to be entering into right. if they were dating somebody. I think that um, to me, there's a little bit of a, a pressure put on the word 
only court, if you say only courtship is allowed, where um, just male female friendship that has kind of an open endedness to it, like I'm just exploring. Is yeah. th- what is this friendship like? Can I get to know you a little better by time just with you? To say that has to be courtship. I find that a little pressured to my thought, but I certainly appreciate things like when people say in, in courtship, you want to be like honoring of one another's families and spending time with, with in a broader relationship than just with the person in order to really be reflecting on like, what is the purpose and the goal of our relating? Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So my last question Mm -hmm. also is along this line. It's from a listener named Ronald. Hey, Ronald. Ronald says, what is the best way to heal from a heartbreak from a serious relationship? I've been bringing my pain, questions, sadness, anger, and hurt to God about all this. It's just tough to sit with. And memories come back from when I was with my girlfriend. I miss her, but I know I need to move on. Gosh, I feel like we're getting into the realm of... uh you know, as if we were counselors or something, it's, it's, I can give my perspective, my advice, my thoughts, but I just want to hold out there. It sounds to me, Ronald, like you're already doing what we're called to do, which Mm -hmm. is to keep that pain open. I'm thinking of that line in the Psalms, pour out your heart like water before me. Mm. It seems like you're doing that, Ronald. And there is no getting away from that pain. That pain is real. Mm-hmm. And you'll you'll carry that pain in your heart, at least some memory of it, some remnant of it, probably your whole life. We're made for union. We're made for communion. It's how we're wired. Mm-hmm. And when that is ruptured, especially it sounds like this was a pretty serious relationship. You wouldn't have that level of heartache if it was just, you know, a few dates or something, but it seems like it was a serious relationship Mm -hmm. and maybe you were discerning marriage and it didn't work out. That's hard. That's rough. Yeah. There's a rupture in his heart. There's a tearing of his heart that is, is indeed painful. And the pain itself is a proclamation of who we are as human beings and what we're designed for, what we're made for. I remember a line from Archbishop Shapu that I'll share with you, Ronald. He said, uh, pain can uh, break us, but it can also break us open. Mm. And it sounds to me like that is the path you're already on, Ronald, that you're letting the pain break you open. And by that, I mean, you're pouring it out to the Lord. You are you are and every human being who suffers is in profound union with the suffering Christ. Uh, Christ on the cross for you right now, Ronald, is not an abstraction. It's an experience. Your suffering is Christ's suffering. Christ's suffering is your suffering. And what we're really looking for is intimacy. And Ronald has, whether he would call it this or whether he knows it is or not, Ronald, in his pain, is experiencing a profound intimacy with the suffering Christ. Mm -hmm. And in your prayer, Ronald, I would just encourage you to be lifting up your girlfriend by name. Yeah. Pray for her and for God's will for her life. Not pray for her to come back to you, which is obviously one of those 
prayers that we want to pray, but really to pray for God's will for her life. There's and a, if it is God's will for her life to come back to you, absolutely. You've that's been praying the best for thing it. you can be praying for, right? <laughs> God's will. That's right. Um, and also to just be aware that uh, there's an enemy of your heart who would want to take these wounds and whisper to you lies. Yeah. And so as you're in that, those times of prayer, especially, you know, really seek to hear the Lord's voice and what he wants to reveal to you about his, the goodness of his plans for you, his love for you, the gift that you are. Cause a lot of times when we're sad, there can come like a, a self-rejection, yeah. um, self-hatred. And even if in this suffering, the Lord reveals to you ways that you need to grow yourself, that shouldn't be an opportunity or don't let it be an opportunity to kind of enter into a spiral of blaming yourself or, you know, something that isn't from the heart of the Lord toward you. He wants to use everything for your good. So if you can trust in that and recognize his voice in your prayer, that's going to be fruitful for you. You know, people say, Wendy, your voice is like a hug. So Mm. Ronald, I hope you feel hugged <laughs> by Wendy's voice. <laughs> Thanks. Maybe we could, I, I, I hope this is a lead of the Holy Spirit that I'm feeling here, but I, maybe we could just pray for all our listeners out there who are going through painful ruptures in relationships. Mm-hmm. It's a real, real wound. And sometimes we think we're just alone in that pain. Uh, nobody knows it. Nobody feels what I feel. And I just want to hold out. This is where Christianity begins to make beautiful sense. I can't understand a world where suffering doesn't have meaning in the crucified Christ. And uh, it's not just a religious idea. In our real sufferings, it can become a lived experience of intimacy with the one who loves us in our suffering and bears that suffering with us. So Let's just pray. Ronald, we lift you up in a particular way, and we lift up all our listeners who are going through painful ruptures in their relationships, whether it's a husband and a wife, a boyfriend and a girlfriend, uh, a mother and a daughter, a father and a daughter, a father and a son, um, friends that might just be feeling conflict in relationships or rupture. Mm Mm-hmm. Lord, you have made us in your image and likeness. We are made for communion. We are made for intimacy. We are made, in a word, for love. And when we experience those ruptures, it hurts. We feel abandoned. We feel alone. We feel rejected. Lord, you, from your cross, cried out, My God, my God, why? Have you abandoned me? And in your willingness to feel that abandon, we can discover that in the place of our own abandonment, you're right there with us. Mm -hmm. So when we feel abandoned, surprise, surprise, we're actually in closest intimacy with the crucified Christ. May that not just be a religious or pious idea, but may it become a lived experience in our most painful places. We ask this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Ronald, you, my brother, 
and of course all our listeners it's what it means to be human you are a gift indispensable irreplaceable and unrepeatable become what you are Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute, with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes. Mm-hmm.